2 Samuel 7, verses 1 through 17. Now it came to pass, when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside ten curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded, to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place to my people, Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people, Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up you your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words, and according to this, all of this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this day that you blessed us with this morning. I uh, pray for the fellowship um, and the opportunity to gather and, and glean from your word. I pray for uh, also the Pursuit Church and Pastor Justin, uh, as he will be uh, teaching the Word today. I just pray for him and his wisdom, and that you will uh, have, uh, that you give him the, the ability to guide his flock in the right direction. And I just thank you for all these things in your name, Father. Amen. Thank you, Messiah. We are in a series here this summer, after we finish the Book of Romans, on the mission of God, God's unfolding plan throughout the scriptures here. And we uh, began with creation on the sixth day when God made man in his image. And then we moved to God's pursuit of man in Genesis 2 through 10. And then we looked at uh, Abraham and God's special promise that God made to Abraham. That is this thread that weaves throughout the scriptures of God would bring a descendant of Abraham who would bless the nations, be a blessing to the to all the nations, all the families of the earth. We know that happens through Christ. Uh, in retrospect, here now we're uh, and, and last two weeks ago we looked at the nation of Israel that came from Abraham that bears the name of God. That was not to take or carry or bear the name of God in vain, but was to live out the glory of God that had been shown through God's promised relationship to Israel. And today we look at the promised king 
who would come from Israel in 2 Samuel 7. We know to be the, the Lord Jesus here scriptures later on. If you looked up and did a search on the word preached or proclaimed in the New Testament, what you would find is this common theme that the apostles proclaimed Jesus Christ. The, the, the content of their message was Jesus Christ. Over and over it says this in Acts chapter 8 in Samaria. Philip went down and preached to them Christ. Acts 9, 22. Saul, uh, prove that Jesus is the Christ. Acts 17, uh, there in, in, uh, in, in Athens, Paul says, this is the Christ, this is Jesus, who so I'm preaching to you. Acts 18, Paul was preaching, testifying to Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Acts 18, by the scriptures of Paul, it showed the Christ to be Jesus. What can happen in our minds, because we've heard Jesus Christ so often, is we don't really understand what that title means. And we can tend to hear the name, the title, Jesus Christ, like you hear Jamie Bickle, or Joe Biden, right? First and last name. But what you need to understand is the word Christ here is the word for king, anointed king. And so when, when the content of what was preached was Jesus the Christ, what was preached is that Jesus is the King, the saving King. And so when you understand uh, that Jesus is King Jesus, it helps us develop a rich understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus have to be a King? Why couldn't Jesus have showed up at the age of 30 and given his life? On the cross, to save us from our sins. Why did he have to be a king, be born in Bethlehem, be born in a very humble birth, raised all through the stages up to adulthood, and then begin his ministry at the age 30, and be called the son of David? Why? Why did he have to be a king? What does that matter for us? He could have forgiven our sins without becoming king, right? I want you to understand that God had to promise a forever king to Israel to bless the nations. Like say, well, why in the world? Well, here's the first reason. You need the backstory. We saw this in Genesis chapter 1, that God made us to reign as kings under him to fill the earth with his glory. You remember what Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 1 said? Uh, let's make man in our image, God said. Uh, let's, let's give him dominion. Let's give him authority. Uh, have dominion, subdue the earth. You remember what God had said about that. Well, God made us to reign. God is the king, but he made us to reign as kings under him. To fill the earth with his glory. To multiply, to fill the earth with other image bearers. In ancient times, kings, as was said a few weeks ago, would have images or statutes of themselves in the border of their territory. And that was to, uh, to relate to all who saw that statue, that image, that this belonged to the king. This was the king's territory. And that's the idea here that is, is being picked up in Genesis, that God has all these imagers, these icons, here, of him that were to tell the world that the king is good and this is his world. 
God made us to reign as kings under him, to fill the earth with his glory. But I think you can also see a little bit more of this idea of the fact that we were kings under God, uh, made to be kings under God, in Psalm 8 where it says, You've crowned him with glory and honor. You made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet. You can see that, that kingly, royal language there. That's what God made us to be. Kings under him. It's a beautiful thing. It's a glorious thing. But here's the bad news, right? Here's the bad news. Despite in Genesis chapter 2, God saying what it looks like to be a king is to protect and to serve and to keep. In Genesis chapter 2, and that's what they were to do in the garden. And this is what they were not to do. And this is how they were to live out their kingship. And kingship is, comes through serving. It's the opposite of the way the world sees a king, right? world sees a king like this, right? With a scepter and, and, and ruling in authority. And God's concept of king is one who serves others and lifts them up. Takes care of things. But the problem is in Genesis chapter 3, right? We betrayed our king. We didn't fill the earth with his glory. The Bible says, as Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, we sinned in Adam. And Romans 1 really makes this clear. Although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God. They didn't fill the earth with his glory. They didn't honor him. They didn't give him the value to the world and, and, and declare to the world his goodness, his kingship, that he is the one true God and the one true king. And what did they do? They changed the glory of the eternal, the incorruptible God into things that are created and the things that will die. We betrayed our king. We didn't fill the earth with his glory. And so Paul will say in Romans chapter 3, For all have sinned and we have fallen short. We have come short of the glory of God. It's a pretty sobering thing. And it's when you, when you see it in the understanding that we were to reign as kings and fill the earth with his glory, that's a very serious statement, isn't it? We have come short of our purpose. We have come short of, of filling the earth with God's glory. The perfection of who God is. You might wonder, well, what in the world is God's glory? Glory is a, a hard thing to define, right? It's one of those words we throw out and we say, yeah, we were made for God's glory. But what does it mean? It's, like, it's, it's, it's hard to define, like the word beauty, right? How do you define the word beauty? Well, it's the idea. Uh, it, uh, it's easier, actually, to point to some examples. Like a sunset that you see on the breakwater over the Camden Hills. Um, like some of those gymnasts in the Olympics who were able to show the balance on the balance beam and the way that God gifted them to, to do that. Or at the end of a basketball game, no time left, one second on the clock, Last second shot, guy heaves it up, 30-foot shot, and it goes through the hoop, right? Swish. Those are little things that are, that, are, that, are, that are glorious, right? But the glory of God is the beauty and the excellence of his perfections, his richness. The glory of God is an attempt to put into words what God is like in his magnificence. And his, and his purity, his, his infinite and overflowing fullness is everything that's good. That's seen through the lens of his different attributes. His grace, his power, 
His wisdom, His mercy, His justice. Each one of these jewels is awesome and beautiful in its magnitude and quality, but God's glory is the harmony of all these together. And the one beautiful and personal being is the perfect harmony of all of His attributes. And when God says He made us, He created us, He formed us for His glory, it doesn't mean that he made us so that he would be more glorious. He can't be more glorious than he already is. God doesn't develop. But what it means is he uses us to shine and reflect his glory to the rest of the world. Well, how do you, how do you shine and reflect his glory to the rest of the world? Well, the truth is you and I needed a perfect human king, God in the flesh, to forever Stand in our place because we failed to fill the earth with God's glory. That's why we needed a king. You see, when Jesus came to this earth, Jesus came as the promised descendant of David that was read in 2 Samuel 7. The perfect human king who would forever stand in our place to fill the earth with God's glory. You see this in 2 Samuel 7 there, the promise there, I will establish his kingdom. I will give him a throne and a kingdom forever. Fill the earth with God's glory. You see this also um, in, uh, in Luke chapter 1 when the angel gives the announcement to Mary that she's going to have a child as a virgin. says this, the Lord God will give him, why did, why did the angel have to tell Mary this? She understood the richness of it. So give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. We needed a perfect forever king to stand in our place. One who would go through humanity, who would come under uh, the subjection of the, of, the, of, the, of the difficulty of life, the curse, yet and would come through perfectly. Who would be perfect, innocent, righteous in all he does, and who would die as the innocent one. Upon the cross, that you and I, as the ones who have fallen short of God's glory, of reigning as kings and filling the earth with His glory, uh, who would die in our place, and who would be resurrected, and who would be ascended on high. Why ascended on high? Because He's a rightful king. And so we now have been joined by faith to the saving, enthroned king. So that Paul can say in Ephesians chapter 2, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. But God has raised you with Christ. And he has seated you with him. Seated in the heavens. So the good news is that Jesus the King, he always existed as God the Son. He was, he was sent by the Father. He took on human uh, flesh in fulfillment of God's promises to David. He died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried. He was really dead. And he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The Old Testament uh, promises. He appeared to many witnesses. And he is enthroned at the right hand of God as the ruling Christ, the ruling King. And he has sent his Holy Spirit to his people who all come to him in faith to affect this rule. To fill God's earth with his glory. To represent him and his glory. And he's going to come again as the final judge to rule. This is seen in Romans chapter 1 where Paul says, I'm separated to this gospel of God. 
And it's this gospel of God that was promised by the prophets in the Old Testament. And this, this, what was promised was concerning His Son, Jesus Christ. King Jesus, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh. By the power of His resurrection and the Holy Spirit, He was declared to be the Son of God with power. And it's through Him that we now have a commission, Paul said. And Paul said, I have an apostleship because we receive grace to, 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 to spread this news for the obedience of the faith among all nations for His name. The last phrase, the obedience of the faith among all nations for His name, is the idea of, of God's glory being restored in people who respond to this good news. It's a beautiful thing. It's a rich thing. So the gospel is the good news that Jesus is the saving king. Well, what's the response to that? That's kind of what we what we what we wonder about here. Well, this good news, the, the good news and the, the message that was preached is Jesus is the saving king. What is that good news here? And that good news here um, uh, continues to develop throughout the scriptures that all who respond to him, they uh, respond to the one who's the ruler of the kings of the earth, John says in Revelation. But we have been washed from our sins in his own blood, washed from our falling short of the glory of God. And he has made us, there's the restoration again, he has made us, John is, is writing this, he's saying he's not going to make us, he has made us kings and priests, representatives to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Oh, it's so rich. What well, does this happen? This happens when we respond by faith. And trusting and following Jesus, because he's the saving king. When we come to Jesus, we're saying, you are our king. You are the one we are giving our allegiance to. Not the other false kings of this world. Not the other false gods and idols of this world. Not my own self-rule here. But I'm giving you, Jesus, allegiance in all things. And we reign with him and we fill the earth with his glory. What is filling the earth with his glory? That's kind of vague again, right? It sounds more like that just Christianese, right? Those phrases that we talk about without really knowing what they mean. And here's the beautiful thing. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen. To the glory of God, what? Through us. We're priests. We're mediators of God's glory now to the world. Whenever we have an encounter with any part of God's creation, human being, down to walking off in the alligash there, we are displaying the glory of God and transform lives. Transform lives. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4. Uh, the God of this world has, has blinded the world because he doesn't want the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the glory of the King, who is the image of God, to shine in the hearts. And so Paul says, we don't preach ourselves, but what do we preach? There's that concept again. The King. Jesus. And ourselves are just your servants. Jesus is the King. For Jesus' sake, for the glory of Jesus. And then he says at the end of 2 Corinthians 4, God who commanded light to shine out of darkness in Genesis 1, he shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus our King. 
If you got a hold of that verse and you looked that stuff, that transforms, doesn't it? God who said, let there be light, and there was light in Genesis 1. That God shined his light, his glory into our hearts through the prism of the glory of God in the face of Christ the King. Jesus. Jesus, what does Jesus mean? He shall save his people from their sins. Christ, the Messiah, the anointed king. That's our God. That's what he's done. And so when you get to the end of the book, when you get to the end of the Bible of Revelation, all these themes come together full circle. Remember? Man created in God's glory and represented. Build the earth with glory, crowned with glory and honor. You lost that, you sorted it, you mangled the image of God, and then at the end of Revelation, the last chapters say this that this holy city that comes to dwell in the new earth, in the new heaven, out of the new heavens here, the glory of God illuminates the city. There's no darkening of his glory. And then the nations of those who are saved will walk in the light of this glory. Isn't that a wonderful promise? God will get it done. Those who respond in faith and say, Jesus, you are the saving king. They, they receive what Jesus has done. And out of response to that, they say, I'm giving my allegiance, my, my life to you. The nations all over the globe here walk in the glory of this. The kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations and do. Here's God's promise to Abraham come full circle. But now this added dimension here, fuller understanding here of how God's glory plays into this. Later in Revelation 22, John will write the leaves of the tree of life for the healing of the nations. His name shall be on their foreheads. They bear the name of the saving king. There's no night there and they shall what? With their forever king, they shall reign forever and ever. You know, Paul tells the Thessalonians, the first Thessalonians 1.12, to walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. When you were saved because you came to the saving king, you came to a king who has a kingdom. It reigns. And God has called you into that. Except the man be born again, he shall not enter. He shall not see the kingdom of God. But through Christ, as our representative, the one who stood in our place here, as the perfect human king, descended from King David here, glory is restored. That's called the work of the Holy Spirit. He transforms us. You might wonder, well, how in the world am I a king in this world? And how do I show the glory of the King? And the way you answer that is to look at how Jesus displayed the glory of God. How did Jesus respond and react to a leper? Touched him. Cared for him. How did he respond to the man who was paralyzed? He gives his forgiveness to him. 
How did he respond to crowds that were gathered together, thousands of them, hungry? He fed him and he said, I am the true bread of life. This stuff's going to last a little bit. But I'm the one where you find your sustenance. How did he respond when he was mocked on the cross? He didn't respond, did he? But First Peter chapter the end of chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2, tells us he entrusted his, himself to his Father. How did he respond in other trials and difficulties? How did he show care and compassion to people who were hungry to hear the truth? How was he patient with those disciples? That's how a king in God's economy And so how do we show the glory of God? The transformation that God's done in our hearts and lives through coming to Jesus in faith and reign and fill His earth with His glory? By responding to others and responding to circumstances and situations of life the same way that God has responded to us. The humility, the tenderness, the pursuit, the love and obedience. That's what it means to fill the earth with the glory of God that makes God unique. Our God is the only God with scars. When we receive, see King Jesus and he returns, what will you see? Scars. Scars of a king. What kind of king do you know has scars? That's our God. That's our Savior. So I wonder if you're this morning uh, here is you remember that God made us to reign as kings under him and fill the earth with his glory. But that great betrayal, that great um, uh, rebellion, revolt against him, we betrayed our king. We didn't fill the earth with his glory. And we still lapse into that, don't we? Fell short of his glory tells us that because we fell short, we need a perfect human king to forever stand in our place to fill the earth with God's glory. Second Samuel 7 promises one from David. So we'll do that. And when we respond by faith and trusting and following Jesus as the saving king, we said in our baptism, what did you say? I died with Christ. The old me is gone. I'm raised with Christ the King. We live out our baptism. That's the Christian life. That truth. Your baptism was far more important than perhaps you may have realized. It was a visible demonstration of eternal truths that are at work in God's transforming work through His Spirit in your life as you yield your life more and more to Him. We fill the earth with His glory. We make disciples. We respond properly in situations. We come under Jesus. We present our bodies as living sacrifices. Holy, acceptable to God. Why? Because we've been transformed and we continue to be transformed, don't we? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 We all, with open face, with wide open eyes, are looking to a mirror and we see the glory of Christ. And as we see the glory of Christ in 2 Corinthians 3.18 we're changed, degree by degree, by degree, into his what? 
into his glory. It was finished. That's the beautiful thing. And that's why we worship the king. And God's word to all is to turn from your own way, your own self-rule, your own delusion of salvation, self-salvation, and turn to the saving king. Repent and believe. There is no other way. There is no other way. Because we have King Jesus. So why did Jesus have to be a king? Jesus had to be a king because there was no other way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father, the Father of glory, except through And so friends, if you're here this morning and you have professed a faith in Christ, you have said, Jesus, you are, you, you are mine, you're my Redeemer. I received you. And God's at work transforming you. And don't kick against that transforming process. Because it's working in you, Romans 8 says, a weight of glory that is far heavier than the afflictions that we face and the cost. There's, there's, the, the reward is so heavy that afflictions will look like a little helium balloon when it's all said and done. Keep going. Keep pressing in. And for those of you who haven't come to Jesus, you haven't declared Jesus is your Savior. You haven't declared, I believe what has been done and accomplished in Jesus and he has he is, he is, uh, saved me from my sins. And he has brought me into his family. And he has set me with him as, as, a, as, a, as, 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 as the king. He's, he's made me to reign with him and, and to radiate out his transforming glory to all the world and how I treat others and how I respond. And I declare that here through uh, publicly here through through going into the waters of baptism and coming out again and, and shouting out that Jesus is my saving king. And God's word to you is repent and turn. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Return to him. Look unto me all the ends of the earth and be ye saved. For I am the Lord, and there is none other. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, you indeed have just done the thing that none of us could even begin to imagine. As we will sing and give praise to you and worship the King, we also want to uh, give glory to you and press into this concept further uh, here in our uh, discussion time in Sunday school here of, of how you became the king and looking at the Old Testament scriptures and the ramifications of, of what that means and Lord uh, how does uh, uh, Lord help us to be open uh, open vessels a pipeline for your glory to shine through us help us not to leave out that, that Jesus is, 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 uh, is, is the seed of David that Jesus is the descendant, the, the one who identified in the prophets of descending from David as a forever king. Lord, help us to 
to uh, with our position of reigning with Christ to work out the practicalities of that in our everyday relationships and our everyday circumstances. Thank you that Jesus humbled himself not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom forever. That Jesus had to become the forever perfect human, saving, eternal king. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.